I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about the men in black. Yes, I'm sure you're picturing Will Smith or Tommy Lee Jones, or maybe even a few of you are picturing Chris Hemsworth. Well, stop it, because this isn't about them. But before I get to the men in black, let's do some shout-outs. Shout-outs to Aaron, Amber, Amy, Angie, Autumn, Seth, Carolyn, Carolyn, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, David, Dill, Edgar, Aaron, Fabian, Harley, Heidi, J-Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jim, Joe, Joshua, Juliana, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Lash, Laura, Laura, Rutho, Lauren, hi Lauren, Lawrence, Lionel, Madison, Maggie, hey Maggie, Michaela, Manning, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Megan, Melissa, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Richard, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Shelly, Simon, Suzanne, Tash, Tosh, sorry, Todd, Jamie, Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. There's a lot of new patrons on here. Thank you all so much. Welcome to Patreon. I hope you guys are enjoying it. Anything you guys want to see or hear or have me talk about, message me on Facebook, DM me on Facebook or on Patreon. Let me know what you guys want to hear. I'm here for you guys. Also, if you haven't yet, send me your address. Make sure I have it, because the next batch of the freebie stuff from, for the Patreons, that sh that comes out on the 5th. I think I'm sending it on the... No, I'm sorry. I'm sending it on the 6th. So, patrons and patrons only, send me your address. I'll get you out some free stuff as well. Thank you all so much. If you want to be like the Patreons... Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac. All the paramaniacs are there, and they're going to listen to a brand new episode after this brand new episode, because I've got one just for them that I'm recording right after this one. Okay, with that, let's get over to paranormal news. How cool is that Paranormal News bumper music? I have a bunch of them. If you guys want to send me yours, please send me your Paranormal News bumper music to paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. I love them all. I like mixing them up, having a different one every week. Uh, sometimes I dupe them. But if you've got Paranormal Almanac bumper music or theme music that has something to do with Paranormal Almanac, just not some random weird music... Uh, send it to me. If you want your theme song or bumper music to be heard, and I'll definitely make sure I give you a shout out the first time I play it, send it over, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to that first story. The first news story is actually a very, very cool one. It says it came from outer space, weird radio signal came from a distant galaxy. For the first time, the origin of a single radio pulse has been pinpointed to a distant a distant galaxy several billion light years away, a new study says. The cause of the burst remains unknown, 
but the ability to determine their exact location is a leap, a huge leap, towards solving this mystery. That's right, Stitch. The fast radio burst, a very short-lived pulse of radio waves that comes from across the universe, has been identified as originating from the Milky Way-sized galaxy some 3.6 billion light-years away. Now, they go on to say this is a big breakthrough that the field has been waiting for science, or been waiting for, since astronomers... Oh, good lord. Let me try that again. This is a big breakthrough that the field has been waiting for since astronomers discovered fast radio burst in 2007. And that's from the lead author, Keith Bannister, of Australia's Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization. If we were to stand on the moon and look down at the Earth with this precision, we'd be able to tell you not only which city the burst came from, but which postcode and even what city block. Now, fast radio bursts last less than a millisecond, making it really difficult to accurately determine where they've come from. Here's an idea, here, just to give you an idea how many there are. Since 2007, 85 cosmic radio wave bursts have been detected. Most are one-offs, but a small amount are repeaters, and that's what we're looking for, something that repeats itself, something that isn't a natural astronomical event. We're looking for intelligence. And we're getting a lot closer and a lot better at determining where these things are coming from. And that's going to be very important to find extraterrestrial life where they're at. That one is a very cool story. The next story is actually kind of a sister story to it. Because the very next story from the Business Insider says, We sent a signal to make contact with aliens on a distant super-Earth. And here's what we said. Humanity's first contact with aliens could be a breezy 24 years away because we sent a signal to an Earth-like planet that may host life, and we sent them a mixtape. The project, called Sonar Calling GJ273B, is a team effort led by the Sonar Music Festival in collaboration with METI, which is the messaging to extraterrestrial intelligence instead of SETI, the search for, this is METI, Messaging to Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and the, Intern and the Institute of Space Studies of Catalonia in Spain. Following is a transcript of the video. Humans just tried to contact intelligent aliens. On October 16th, 17th, and 18th, a team of musicians and scientists sent this message to aliens. What's the message? 35 musical pieces, each 10 seconds long, a tutorial on how humans keep time, and when we will be listening for a response. Now, the message is headed for a nearby exoplanet, again, named GJ273b. They need a better name for it than that. But they call it a super-Earth. It's slightly more massive than Earth, but it's within that habitable zone. So it's a good candidate for alien life. Now, this is the first radio message of its kind designed for a direct response at a specific time. And that's what we're going for here. That means if intelligent life responds, we could make first contact in just 24 years for them to respond. As soon as they respond, it's going to come back to us. And if this podcast is still going in 24 years, I'll have an update for you on that story. Up next in paranormal news, and I'm sure you've guys figured out the theme. Well, you will in a second. I'm sure you'll figure out the theme in a second. No signs of aliens in the closest 1,300 stars. Hunt funded by Russian billionaire reveals. So there's this Russian billionaire. Um, I'll get to his name in a second. 
he's funded a search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, as you just heard from that last one, that's SETI. Now, they surveyed 1,327 nearby stars for signals from intelligent beings, but so far, nothing has turned up. There's certainly nothing out there glaringly obvious. Danny Price, who's an astrophysicist at the University of California, Berkeley, and lead author of a paper about the results, that's what he told to the Live Science, this website. There's no amazingly advanced civilizations trying to contact us with incredibly powerful transmitters. While the team didn't find anything this time around, Price said that there could be many explanations for the lack of alien signals. Perhaps the search was conducted at the wrong frequencies, or those signals were hidden by radio interference from Earth. Any such undertaking is limited by the methods and discoveries that humans happen to have made in the course for our own history. Basically, in a lot of ways, SETI is a bit like a mirror back on ourselves and our own technology and our understandings of physics, Price said. And I agree. Now, like I said, this search was conducted as part of the Breakthrough Listen Initiative, which is a 10-year, $100 million endeavor funded by Russian billionaire Yuri Milner. First of all, Yuri Milner, if you're listening to this episode, I'd love to talk with you. Anybody that is funding a 10-year, $100 million endeavor to find extraterrestrial intelligence, I want to talk about. Their latest data release analyzed one petabyte or one million gigabytes of data in both radio and optical wavelengths, looking at more than a thousand stars within 160 light years of Earth. So it's a huge undertaking, but... If you've ever been to the Griffith Observatory, and I'm sure they have it at other observatories or museums or or science centers around the, the world, there's this statue of um, Albert Einstein, and he's holding up his finger to the sky. And he said, there's a billion galaxies just behind what his finger's covering, just what his finger's covering. There's a billion galaxies right there. So this is nothing in terms of space. It is a very small sliver in space. So we've got plenty of time and plenty of space to search through to hopefully find extraterrestrial intelligence. This next one is not part of that same group. Uh, this next one in Paranormal Almanac News, uh, Paranormal News, is Pennsylvania man allegedly built bomb to warn about aliens who plan to destroy the planet. A man allegedly placed a homemade bomb behind a Pennsylvania hotel on Sunday and claimed it was a warning that aliens will destroy the planet if humans didn't, quote, start being good people. Look, you can't set up a bomb to blow up people and say it's a warning that aliens will destroy the planet if we don't start being good people. This guy, I'm not going to give his name because F him, was taken into, uh, taken into custody by state troopers after they responded to the scene at the Bonnie House in Myerston, Pennsylvania city roughly 25 miles north of Lancaster. Now, he said that he told the hotel manager that he made an, ex an explosive device and was keeping it in his room. The manager told him to remove it from the building, so this guy placed it next to the dumpster outside the hotel. A state police bomb squad disabled the package, and no one was injured in the incident. He told investigators he encountered aliens and a UFO in 2014. He claims the aliens told him... Humans need to start being good people or else they're going to destroy the earth with a nuclear laser beam. Sure. Um, 
if you get uh, abducted, you ever see a UFO, you ever see aliens, and they tell you to plant a bomb, don't listen to them. Listen to the voice that's in your head right now, me. Don't hurt other people or animals. It's that easy. And remember, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. And with that, let's get to the last news article for Paranormal News. Searching for Bigfoot. If the elusive creature exists, he's probably hiding deep in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Michael Riggs was four years old when he saw Bigfoot. He's been chasing him ever since. Behind the desk of the Bigfoot Discovery, Mu Discovery Museum in Felton, California, its curator is named Michael Rugg. Did I say Riggs? Sorry, Michael Rugg. And uh, he says, my parents tried to talk me out of it. They said it was a tramp. So it was a repressed memory. I know the Bigfoot are real. I know that people have seen them. Now, they say that he's not a kook, far from it. Uh, basically, he's just a an evidence-seeking citizen scientist. And the story goes on to tell you a lot about Santa Cruz's history. But it also talks about how many people have seen Bigfoot in the mountains and the woods surrounding the area including Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin, the most famous or infamous Bigfoot footage ever. So if you haven't been to the area, there's a Bigfoot museum. This guy runs it. He says that they've seen a Bigfoot out there and it is probably the best place to see Bigfoot. Alrighty, with that, let's get right on into this week's episode. And like I said, that's right, I'm talking about the real men in black. Are they real? Who do they work for? Why are they so weird? Well, these questions and many more may be answered in this edition. And I say maybe because when I started this edition, and I'm not going to tell you how I ended, but when I started this edition, I wasn't sure what I thought about the Men in Black. I think that there were men in black suits and black fedoras that talked to people about UFO incidents back in the day. But I think they're just government agents because that's what people wore back in the day. Now, like I said, I'm not going to tell you what I think after doing all this research. I'll get to that at the end of the episode. So let's get into the very first reported Men in Black incident. And it happened in 1947 to Harold Dahl. So let's start with a quick recap here first. I'm not going to go into the full story but I'll give a brief description. And basically his description is one that has stuck with the men in black ever since. Black suits, sometimes outdated, fedoras, bald heads, odd eyes or odd complexion. It seems like they're wearing makeup or maybe even lipstick. All of this plus robotic movements. And they seem to refer to each other by numbers instead of names. Now all of this didn't come from the Harold Dahl incident, but like I said, a lot of it did. So let me tell you his story. Harold Dahl, in June 27, 1947, was gathering logs on his boat in Puget Sound in Washington when he saw six donut-shaped objects hovering about a half mile above his boat. As he was watching, one of them fell nearly 1,500 feet, followed by raining metallic debris, some of, which, some of which hit Dahl's son, Charles, on his arm, and some hitting and killing his dog. I don't like that part of the story. So Dahl took some pictures of the UFOs, which he later showed to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman. Now, Fred immediately went out there, and he too saw one of the UFOs. Fast forward to the next morning, Dahl was visited by a man in black. They went to a local diner, 
How the Men in Black got him to leave and go with them is beyond me, but apparently they did. So the Men in Black, or Man in Black, then started telling Dahl in great detail about what Dahl had just seen the day before. What I've said is proof to you that I know a great deal more about this experience of yours than you will want to believe, he told Dahl. And he also told Harold Dahl to never speak of this again. And this begins the Men in Black. So this origin story of the Men in Black, you have a Man in Black, you got a black suit and a fedora, who knew a lot more about the UFO than the witness eyewitness did. Definitely seemed to work for some form of organization. But Dahl didn't mention anything about a bald head, odd eyes, odd complexion, like they might be wearing makeup. No robotic movements or odd languages or speech patterns. None of that. The initial Man in Black origin, as far as I can find and a lot of people can find, is just that, a man in a black suit. All right, so let's get to some other Men in Black tales that I can't prove happened. So take everything after this sentence with a grain of salt. The first up is Larry. Okay, a guy going only by the name Larry had this tale to tell. One night, as he was drifting off to sleep, he was contacted by a strange presence who communicated with them telepathically. This weird presence explained that he was not from Earth. Larry asked the presence to provide some proof of its existence beyond simply sending thoughts into his head. He told the being, oh, he was told that the being wanted to meet him face to face and that the being said it would meet Larry in person very soon. All right, from there we get a fast forward a couple weeks. Larry was hanging with his buddy at an Independence Day celebration at a nearby park when all of a sudden, a black van pulled up nearby and two black clad men got out. Two more similarly dressed men exited the van after them and according to Larry, they did not appear to be entirely human in shape. How? No idea. There's not much more info to go on. Other sites go down that rabbit hole with a bunch of BS, but from everything I can see, if this story is even true, from everything I can see, that was all the details they had. Now the strange men sat down at a nearby picnic table, looked over at Larry, and then just re-entered their van and left. Again, depending on what site you find your info, Larry says this was proof from the alien of his of their meetup in their in-person meetup. Why? I don't really know. Or that after this he said he never heard from the alien again. How about this? Larry was really paranoid after having a nightmare and some men in suits were seen on the 4th of July. The rest, all coincidence. Is it weird? Yep. Having a bunch of men pour out of a van, all dressed the same way, sitting there at a picnic table, seemingly looking at you, then getting right back in the van and leaving? That's a little weird. I'll give you that. But above and beyond, like the skeptic in me, I don't see any proof of anything other than there was a bunch of guys in suits that decided to leave. All right, the next one is a bit more believable for a second, and then it gets kind of uh, goes off the rails. This one is about a guy named Albert Bender. He was the director of an amateur organization called the International Flying Saucer Bureau, or IFSB. That part is true. 
He reported on UFOs on a regular basis in 1953. Also true. Now, he started to really make mainstream news in September when he notified the Bridgeport Herald newspaper that he was closing his International Flying Saucer Bureau immediately because a document called the Robertson Panel Report was released by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, the, let me say, take, take that again, released by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency, detailing their conclusions from a special panel that had reviewed Project Blue Book to determine if UFOs posed any potential threat to national security, basically. All right, so this is all, this part is all true. This guy did exist. He did run this organization. And there was a Robertson panel report. But their conclusion was UFOs did not pose any potential threat to national security at all. However, in the report, there was a reference to private UFO enthusiast groups. The IFSB, it was believed that such organizations should be watched because of their potentially great influence on mass thinking if widespread sightings should occur. The apparent irresponsibility and the possible use of such groups for subversive purposes. So, basically, they kind of called them out. And this was also a big tactic in the 50s, 60s, even the 70s. It was a very big tactic to say, you don't want to talk about this stuff because it could be used against America. Sub subversive purposes could be used against America. And, you know, patriotism was flying high at that time. So a lot of people just stopped because of that. But a lot of people also went, holy shit, this, this government organization is talking directly about me. And that's what Bender thought. So Bender shut IFSB down and frankly, he got a little bit or a lot of it scared after a visit from, you guessed it, the men in black. Now, the Bridgeport Herald newspaper reported Bender said three men wearing dark suits came to his house. Now, they flashed credentials showing them to be representatives of, quote, the higher authority. What that means, I don't know. Again, why didn't the Bridgeport Herald newspaper go, what is... What exactly is the higher authority? What did their badges say? What credentials did they show you? Nope. Way to fail, newspaper. But anyhow, so these men in black started to ask Bender many questions about the IFSB. And they told him, quote, not roughly, but sternly and emphatically to stop publishing flying saucer information. So far, everything sounds reasonable. I can believe everything that happened up until this point. But this is the part that I think Bender snapped because even though Bender kept quiet in 1962, he did speak out. Bender was convinced to write a piece about his encounter and he called it Flying Saucers and the Three Men. Bender claimed that he learned of the truth about flying saucers by astrally, astrally projecting himself to their secret underground base in Antarctica, which was populated by aliens of three genders. He said the visitation from the three men had been a psychic visitation when Bender, on his bed, suddenly felt dizzy and he noticed several dark shapes in the room with him that slowly materialized into men in black 
men in black suits with black hats obscuring their eyes and their faces. He noticed in particular that the men's eyes lit up with an incredible glow and they seemed capable of speaking directly to his mind. They made him promise to destroy his findings and cease all of his research onto the subject. So this could go one of two ways. He was, in fact, visited while he was sleeping. Whatever it was projected this into his head and was speaking directly to him. Look, we know that a lot of alien visitations basically begin and end just like this. They speak telepathically. You can't really see their faces. You know, this seems like an alien abduction story, but he's saying this was a men in black story. Now, can I say that none of this happened? No, because I believe UFO abductees, so I have to believe him. But I will say it does seem odd that in 53, everything was really by the book. Three men, dark suits, flashing credentials, walked up to his house, told him to stop everything. Then in 1962, it changes to a psychic visitation, and they kind of materialize into Men in Black. Again, I can't say it didn't happen. Stranger shit has happened. I'm just saying... His story changed dramatically in the 10-year time. So it's making me, making it hard for me to go, yep, that happened. But I'll put it this way. Maybe it did. All right, how about this next one? This is the Robert Richardson incident in 1967. Now, unfortunately for Roger Robert Richardson, he was driving in his car in Toledo, Ohio, when he slammed into a very low-flying or parked UFO. He said the UFO vanished when he hit it. Now, he doesn't really go into details. Did it poof vanish like it wasn't there or did it take off and like zoom away real quick? It's kind of up to the, the reader to figure that part out. But basically, he hit a, he hit a UFO with his car. Uf, the UFO probably took off. I'll say that. That's how I interpret it. So he gets out of his car and he finds a piece of metal that wasn't from his car on the ground in front of it. So about a week later, Robert was visited by two men in black who demanded that piece of metal back. Now, Richard said he didn't tell anyone about the metal, except for one person, I'll get to that in a second, and he didn't know how they knew about it. So he told the men in black he had sent that piece of metal to a lab. That's the person he told about it. And he sent it to a lab to be tested and didn't have it. And that's when the men in black got quote-unquote mean. They told him, if you want your wife to stay as pretty as she is, you better get the metal back. Unfortunately, it doesn't really say, did Richardson get the metal back? Did he stop the test? What did the test reveal? None of the important information is with this story, which is a huge red flag for me. But... Um, Richardson said he never heard from them again. Again, this is part of that whole, we need a lot more information, a lot more details and stories, because I would love to find out what lab he sent it to, who worked on it in that lab, what did they find out about it, did he come and take it away before they could get results, did they get results at all, um, did he come and like frantically take it back, did he call them up and say, hey, I needed it back, or cancel the tests, what happened with that piece of metal? Did the men in black get it? Does he still have it? I don't have any of these answers because people that write these stories are really bad at writing stories. So again, I will say that's a huge red flag, but I can believe everything in that story too. 
Alrighty, up next, Dr. Herbert Hopkins. On September 11th, 1976, he was a doctor who lived in Maine, and he was interested in UFOs and was investigating a nearby incident when he got a call from a man that said he was with the New Jersey UFO organization. Now the man asked if he could go over uh, if he could go over some stuff, and was Hopkins alone in the house? Hopkins said yes to both, you know, because he's an idiot, and then he hung up. Now Hopkins then says he hung up the phone, walked downstairs, and by the time he went to turn on the porch light, a man was walking up onto his porch. He was in a black suit, bald. No eyebrows, no eyelashes, very smooth, fake-looking skin. He says it was like a doll's skin. And his lips were ruby red, as if he was wearing lipstick over his lips. He said that the man spoke oddly and told Hopkins to take out a coin from his pocket. Basically, he told Hopkins, hey, take a coin out of your pocket and watch the coin. So this weird guy in a mask-looking thing tells him to take out a coin so... Hopkins pulls out a penny, a U.S. penny. Uh, it's copper, just in case you guys need to know that because it's next details. So he's got this copper penny in his hand. Hopkins said that the coin in his hand turned silver, then blue, then got fuzzy, out of focus, and simply vanished. Which, you know, you got to admit, is a good trick. Maybe the men in black should be, you know, birthday magic magicians. Because I got to say, if I went to the Magic Castle... And the magician said, hey, take a coin out of your pocket, put it in your hand, watch that coin. And then that happened to a penny? I'd give that guy a tip. That's a damn good trick. So all of this was enough to spook the hell out of Hopkins. But then this happened. The man ordered him to destroy his UFO research, which Hopkins said as soon as the man left, he immediately destroyed everything. All right, this next one is actually a video. And I'm going to put it up on Facebook. I'm sure you've seen it. It went, it made the rounds like crazy. I think it was in like 2008, 2009. It made the rounds like crazy. Let me uh, play you audio from the guy that it actually happened to. And then I'll tell you the full story. I guess I could tell you the full story first, but whatever. I'll tell you, I'll play this for you. Then I'll tell you the whole story. So if you don't understand what he's talking about, just give it a second. One of my development approached me and he kind of had a weird look on his face. And he said to me, uh, can we go in your office and talk? I brought him into my office and he says, uh, something really weird happened here yesterday and, and uh, you weren't here. He said, uh, there's a couple guys in here looking for you. And I said, a couple guys, what do you mean? And he said, well, um, this is really hard for me to say. He said, but there's a couple really strange looking men that were here and they kind of freaked everybody out and they were asking questions about you. And of course, now I'm getting a little bit nervous and I'm like, what are you talking about? And he said, well, they were, he goes, I don't know how to describe them except for extremely odd looking. They were really, really tall. He said, and they were identical height. They were the exact same height. They were wearing the exact same clothes and they had the exact same faces, like they were twins. And he said they were wearing black suits black trench coats they were wearing like the old-fashioned uh federal hats they had extremely extremely pale skin 
And he said they came in and they looked around a little bit and they asked for you. And I said, I'm sorry, he's actually not working today. And it seemed like they didn't believe me. So they started to walk around the hotel and shortly after they went to the tour desk and he goes, I got busy. I started to have to bring cars around and get luggage. And by the time I came back, they were gone. But he goes, they freaked me out. And I really wanted to tell you that there were these weird guys in here looking for you. So of course, now I'm a little bit skeptical and a little bit freaked out all at the same time. So the first thing I do is I run into my security office because I know how to work the security system. And I rewound the cameras and sure enough, there, here comes two gentlemen through the front door looking exactly how he described. Then the next day, I was talking with my uh, tour guest, and one of them um, asked to talk to me. She came in my office, the same as my bellman, and she said, I need to tell you about something that happened. I heard that you heard that there were some men looking for you. And I said, yes. And she said, they asked a few questions about you and they said strange things that I didn't understand. And they were talking about governments and conspiracies and none of it made any sense to me. But she goes, they were very, very scary. And I said, well, why were they scary? And she said, they had no facial hair, none. She said they had no eyebrows, no eyelashes, nothing. Their hair looked like they had a wig on like it was attached to their hat, like it wasn't even real. And she said, and the scariest thing, their eyes were so big and so blue that they almost hypnotized me a little bit. And she goes, and you're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you this, but I swear they knew what I was thinking. I swear, and I don't think I'm crazy, but I don't even know how they could do it and I don't know why I'm even telling you this. She goes, so I started to think about things other than you and I don't even know if it worked. And she started to cry and she said one more thing before she left. She said, these men, they didn't blink. Not once did I see them blink. Okay, I think that was pretty self-explanatory. Um, I do think a few things were very odd though. The exact same height. Who goes so into detail about these two guys were the exact same height? I have never said that in my life. And I've met people that were the exact same height that we found out later on. Like, oh, you're 6'4", I'm 6'4". I don't think they're that tall looking in the video. It's really weird. I thought that part was really weird, but I think the rest of it's really interesting. Okay, so now here's the recap. Just to give you the full story, not from... This guy, like the full, full story. It comes from a hotel in Canada in 2008. Two men in black enter this hotel looking for employees Shane Sovar and a security guard who had seen a large black triangle UFO the night before. Black triangle UFO, Canada, 2008. If you haven't listened to the black triangle episode, please do after this one. Please finish this one. All right, so the employees weren't there that day. But it's said that the men scared the hell out of everyone that were at the hotel. They were described with no eyebrows, no eyelashes, weird matching faces, red lips, odd speech pattern. Basically the same kind of setup as the 1976 one. And this one came in 2008. So the two men left 
and then Shane heard about it. So he came in real quick and he reviewed the security camera footage. All right, so the footage itself, it's of two men in black with trench coats and hats. They walk into a lobby and that's about it. It's really too blurry to tell anything from it. But man, does this video have a lot of hits. I really can't say anything more than it could be businessmen. Now, a lot of people say if you look at the size of the men, they're huge. I'll be honest, I don't see that. It looks like two six-foot-tall guys, black suits, trench coats, black hats. Could be businessmen on trip. I don't know. I don't know much about any... I mean, I don't know anything else about it because that's all there is to it. So... What do you guys think of this video? When I posted it on Facebook, let me know what you guys think. Is it men in black or is it just two dudes? I can't tell you. All right, the up, the, this next one is kind of a what the fuck story. It's really weird. An anonymous random postal worker from Washington, D.C. says that he was out delivering mail one day when he decided to stop and eat an apple. It gets much, weir it gets much weirder, don't worry. All right, so he finishes the apple and he threw the apple core on the ground. But before he could walk away, a security guard approached and yelled at him for littering, saying that the entire building and surrounding grounds were under constant surveillance. So far, I believe everything that happened. It's Washington, D.C. Everything is under constant surveillance. But fast forward to the next day, this same mailman gets to this same building on his route, but this time starts looking around, starts noticing things. And what he notices is a group of men, there are three men, who are walking towards the building and they're walking weirdly. He said they waddled when they walked. Instead of putting one foot in front of the other, they were just kind of waddling like a penguin. And he also says they were abnormally thin. Guess what they were wearing? Yep, you got it. Black suits. So he walks into the building to deliver the mail and a group of men started questioning him about the weird walking guys. He says that's when one of the waddle walkers, that's what he called them, waddled up to him and started grilling him, telling him he hasn't seen anything. The mailman was so scared, but they let him leave, and he, boom, changed his route, never went that way again. All right, how about this? If you want someone to forget about what they just saw, don't make a big deal out of it and he'll just forget about it on his own. All he saw was weird men kind of waddling when they walked. That was it. You guys made it weird by immediately having a group of men stop and question him about the waddling men. It's a dumb story. Don't like it. Where was the building? What was the address? Let's do some research into the building, figure out what goes on there. There, again, details to these stories are lacking to an insane degree. He doesn't want to give his name? Cool, whatever. You don't have to give your name, but give some details. You say it was in Washington, D.C. It should be pretty easy to pinpoint what that building is, who works there, why are they waddling, what's happening in it. Even the most secretive buildings... If it doesn't show up on Google Earth, go there. It's Washington, D.C. If a mailman can get there, we can get there. Details are very important. Alrighty, up next. So the men in black are seen all over the world. It's not just in America, as so far has happened in this story. So this next one is from Essex, England. 
But this time, the men wore gray suits. So they're men in gray right now. William Shearer claimed to have seen a UFO, and a few days later, two men showed up at his house, one asking him questions, while the other just stood there watching. The men spoke in a strange voice that seemed flat and expressionless, and had extremely pale skin. Now the men asked to enter the house, which he refused, and they simply told him they would be back, and then they left. Not long after this, they show up at his work and start asking him questions again. And like before, they asked to meet him at his house and go in. He told them, hell no, and they left. Now he said he never saw them again, but he was convinced his phone was bugged from that day on. My only curiosity on this one is, why did they want to get him into his house so badly? Did they just want to get him alone? Were they going to kill him? What were they going to do with him? Or did they want to plant some bugs, which they eventually did anyway? That one's very interesting. I like that one a lot, mostly because it comes from Essex, England. It's a slightly different story. I like that one quite a bit. All right, next up we have Paul Miller's story. Paul Miller was returning home after a hunting trip when he saw a, quote, luminous disc in the sky. Now, the disc landed in an empty field. Two humanoids emerged from the craft. Now, what do Americans do when they see something they can't explain, listeners? That's right. He started shooting at it. So Miller fires his gun at them, and he says he believed he injured one, and he says he believed he even injured one. He then got even more scared and fled down a rural road in his car. Seems like he got away, right? Nope. As he was driving away, he realized he had lost time, almost three hours. So he gets home, and let's fast forward to the next day. He walks into work and is immediately confronted by three men in black suits. They told him, quote, that they had his file. Now, Paul says he never mentioned anything to anybody, so he has no idea how they knew who he was, but the men said, quote, they knew all about it and mentioned that the encounter would be best forgotten. Now, Paul says, they seem to know everything about me, where I worked, my name, everything else. They also asked questions about his experiences as if they already knew the answers. What's interesting about this one is it took years before Paul Miller told his story to anyone. He actually listened to these guys and just shut up. Didn't mention the UFO, didn't mention shooting at it, didn't mention injuring a humanoid. If he had really killed, say it was a spy plane or some military vehicle, and he shot and injured somebody, he wouldn't just be let off with a warning. He wouldn't have three hours of missing time. This one really seems like, for all intents and purposes, he shot at a flying saucer and injured one of the people on board the flying saucer, whoever that may be. Alrighty, up next is a um, radio personality who went by the name of Danny Gordon. Probably still does. He says he really liked investigating UFOs, especially the nearby Wythe County UFO sightings. W-Y-T-H-E, County UFO sightings. Now, Gordon says he interviewed people and also got some pics of UFOs, including one time where an entire school bus of students saw a UFO flying over a shopping mall. Now, Danny Gordon said the pics were so clear, there would be no doubt that the threat of UFOs were real. So we all know what happens next. He receives a phone call from a man who claims to be, quote, ex-military, and warned him that his research would, quote, cost him everything. He's then urged to stop, quote, for his family's sake. 
then he was interviewed by two men in black in person. Now, these men claimed to work for a magazine publication. Now, Gordon was so scared, but unharmed. And it wasn't until after the interview, he realized all those amazing UFO photos were missing. That's right. While these men were talking to him, someone went to his place, took everything. Now, he contacted the magazine for information, because again, remember, these men said they claimed to work for a magazine. So he contacts the magazine for information, and they claim to have never heard of him, much less commissioned an article about him. Obviously, now the photos have never surfaced anywhere, and Danny Gordon had no more proof. Uh, Danny Gordon since then had a heart attack from stress and gave up all the UFO stuff. So I don't know, I assume he's still alive because it didn't say that he passed away from the heart attack. It just says he gave up everything. Here's another chance for us to have had proof and it's gone. This seems to happen more and more. And I'll be honest, that kind of stuff leads me to believe that these stories are true. Because this guy had all this amazing information and it was all taken away from him, these amazing photos was all taken away from him. I tend to believe it's true. But again, I want more information. What was the date that he took the photo where an entire school bus of students saw a UFO flying over a shopping mall? What was the shopping mall? Where are these students? How come no student has ever come forward to talk about some Wythe County UFO sighting shopping mall? Maybe they have. Maybe I haven't done enough research. I'm going to do research on it after this. If they did, I'll gladly add this. I'll, I'll add an addendum to this episode. But from what I could find while writing this episode, I couldn't find any, any more information about it. Up next is what to do when a man in black gets angry with you at a library. Seems like this doesn't happen all that often, but, you know, knowledge is power, so I'll tell you this one. Professor Peter Rajewitz said that he was reading a UFO book in the library when a strange, pale man wearing all black sat down next to him. The man then began talking to the professor, asking him about his opinions on UFOs, which, you know, the professor's reading a UFO book. All this seems cool. Now, the professor was confused by the interaction and said, that the, and said to the man that he really wasn't interested in UFOs at all. And that's when the man in black became very angry. He was getting loud and aggravated before eventually leaving. So, Professor Peter is convinced it was a man in black encounter and not just some well-dressed homeless guy or a UFO tinfoil hat wearing loony like I personally think it was. I think that some guy was at a library saw someone reading a UFO book, was way into UFOs, and ran up to him and started asking questions. And when the guy said, I don't know, I don't really like UFOs, well, then why are you reading a UFO book? Got a little angry, and then probably stormed away going, well, that guy's an idiot. I don't personally think it was a Men in Black incident, but this professor seems to think it was, so who am I to say? Alrighty, the final story for this edition is UFO researcher Jack Robinson and his wife Mary. They were doing, quote, serious research into UFOs when something strange started happening. They would come home to find their house was been completely rummaged through, like someone had gone through everything, and they always noticed their UFO files were disturbed. All right, if this is a regular occurrence, start locking up the UFO files. Put them all in a safe. Start hiding them. If it's a regular occurrence, you're doing something wrong to stop it from happening. Anyhow, 
Then Mary started to notice a strange man in black. He was wearing a black suit and a hat, staring up at their apartment from the doorway. So Mary tells her friend about the man in black staring at her. This friend drove over and took a photo of the man in black. I'll put this photo up on Facebook as well because I want your opinion. It's definitely a guy. He's wearing black. He's kind of like standing in a doorway, doorwell, whatever you want to call it, so he's not completely visible. Um, he looks very prim and proper. He looks like he's about to meet the queen is what he looks like to me. But um, I'll put this photo up, see what you guys think, see if it... Uh, See if you guys immediately go, oh my God, yep, that's what a man in black looks like. This guy doesn't look like he's bald, but it's, you know, not that great of a photo, so I can't really tell. Looks like he's got really small feet, I can tell you that. Um, it's interesting. Is it really a picture of a man in black, or is it just a coincidence? I don't know. Alrighty, like I said, that was the last story for this edition of Men in Black. I'll have more on a future episode, but... I kind of wanted to stop here because this had a gambit of stories. Some I kind of believe. There were details I believe in a lot of these stories. It does seem like if you do UFO research enough or, you know, get famous for it or get, um, get known for doing UFO research, you're opening yourself up for the government or the men in black to come and visit you. You really are. Who's to say that right now the government isn't watching my webcam that I'm standing in, that I'm sitting in front of or listening to this microphone constantly, just having it on constantly? They might be. All they're really going to hear from me is me singing the stitch probably. I mean, there's not a lot there. I'm not really concerned about it. People always say, aren't you concerned that you're opening yourself up to this kind of stuff by talking about it? Nah, not really. I'm not really concerned about that. I'm a very small fish in a very big pond. I get some very cool emails from people that seem to be in the military, but I'm not the one who's going after them or trying to get more details out of it. I let them send me the emails. I pass them on if they say I can pass it on. And there's some cool stories. And that leads me to believe, or it leads me to think anyway, that the men in black are just part of the government. They're another division of the government. I don't even know if it's that secretive of a division of the government. They could be part of the FBI or the CIA. They don't have to be their own secret Illuminati organization. I really don't think it's anything that, you know, tinfoil hat wearing. I really think that they're just part of the government. If they get a concern or they think they have a good enough witness that has evidence, they seem to show up and take that evidence or try to stop that person from talking. And that seems to be their MO over and over and over again. To stop this information from getting out. That's what the government's been trying to do for years anyway. It's not a big leap to say that that's what the men in black are doing. They're just doing the government's agenda, stopping this information from getting out. If you do have information or if they think you're getting close to disclosure or something close to something really big coming out, yeah, they seem to step in and they seem to stop you from telling everybody or telling the world about it. That is why I say this. If you've got evidence, you've got proof, you've got videos, you've got photos, get it out there immediately. Send it to a million people and tell them to send it to a million people. Pick 10 people. Send that information to that 10 people. Say, please don't go public with this, but send it to 10 people. Have them send it to 10 people. Get it out there and have them print it out. 
don't just keep digital copies that somebody could wipe out, you know, a hacker could just wipe out. Get actual physical copies. Have them get physical copies. Have them get physical copies. Protect yourself and protect the evidence. Because if it's your story, it's going to get back to being your story. You don't have to worry about someone stealing it down the line. If you think that person's going to steal it, send it to another person that's not going to steal it. Don't try to get those people in trouble as well. Don't try to harm a bunch of other people. I really think that that's what's going to keep your information safe and and it's going to allow you to get it out to the public when you want to get it out to the public. I think it's the best way to do it. Trying to keep it all to yourself until you have whatever the hell these people are waiting for. He's got perfect photos of a bunch of kids in a school bus seeing a UFO over a mall. The UFO is so clear, it's proof positive. Get it out there. Why are you sitting on that? Here's your chance to get out there and be world famous for disclosure. If that's what you're going for. If you're going for wealth and fame, you don't have to wait for a book to come out. You literally can get that information out there and go on a tour circuit and make a lot of money that way. Then do a book, make a lot of money that way. Just because the photo's out there doesn't mean you're not going to make money off of that photo. You will. Here's your chance to become famous. So again, I think going, sorry, I got on a tangent there. I, I really think that that's what the, the men in black are. I think they're just part of the government agency. I don't personally, this is just me personally, I don't think that they're aliens in disguise, which a lot of people think they are. They think that they're some kind of robots. I don't really think that either. They think that they're part of the Illuminati. I personally don't think that either. I went down a lot of rabbit holes about the men in black while writing this episode, but nothing was proof positive to make me want to add it to this episode as proof that the men in black are Illuminati, proof that the men in black are ship, alien shapeshifters. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying I couldn't find anything that made me go, yep, that's some alien shapeshifting men in black proof right there. I need to pass it along to you guys. I just don't know what to think about the men in black. I don't know I don't know what they are other than government trying to keep the information from getting out. The fact that they have so much information about a person and what they saw leads me to believe it's the government. Because guess what? The government, they're listening to you right now. They're listening to everybody right now. You probably have an Alexa in your home that they could be listening to you on. I'm sure you have a cell phone real nearby that they're listening to you on. Me, I'm putting this podcast out there. They're definitely listening to me. And, and hi, welcome. If you want to be on the show, if you're a man in black, please feel free to knock on the door right now. I'll have you on the show. I would pee a little bit if the door, someone knocked on the door right now. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's any big jump to say they're listening. They know what we've seen. Because you're probably freaking out and talking about it or texting about it or telling a friend when you get home or telling a family member when you get home. They're hearing it, knowing that this might be potential information coming and stopping you from talking about it. That's it. Nothing more amazingly than that. What do you guys think? What do you guys think the men in black are? Do you guys personally think they're aliens? Do you think they're shapeshifters? Do you think they're robots? Do you think they're something even older and stranger than that? There's a lot of people that say that Men in Black have always been here. If you watch Fringe, that's kind of the whole big thing about the TV show Fringe, which was awesome. But what do you guys think? Who are the Men in Black? Once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac.
Him through all wickets, him through all wickets, him through all sigh, him through all sigh.